welcome to Praxis, another opportunity to study God's Word as a fellowship of single young adults here at Lighthouse. Uh, we've been in the middle of our dating series for quite some time, um, and we actually are going to conclude our series on dating, at least the message portions. We'll have a Q&A next week to really answer any concrete questions we have, so a plug to submit your questions as soon as possible. Uh, we probably won't field questions live, so the best way to get your questions answered is to send them in. Uh, the sooner you do it, the better prepared and thought out our panelists can be, so you can actually respond to the Praxis weekly emails that you guys get if you are on that subscription list, or you can send in your questions via text to that number. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll compile all the questions and think through what would be most beneficial and helpful for our group. Now, with that said, our sermon tonight will be on wives. So we're going to study biblical womanhood in the context of marriage and draw out some implications for dating. Uh, first, a similar caveat as last week, so I'll try to be brief. Uh, just because the, the subject matter, the focus is on the ladies. Guys, we aren't given a free pass to just tune out. Uh, instead, we should be considering how this is relevant for us. Consider who you're interested in or dating to gauge how they measure up, whether you're prioritizing the right things. Consider how you men can participate in fostering an environment where the women here are encouraged to pursue and embrace the things that God has called them to. Uh, for the ladies, even if you currently have no desire to date, these few verses we'll look at in Ephesians 5 can be just as applicable. They challenge you to calibrate your understanding of what it looks like to be a wife in the future and a woman in the present. Married, dating, or not, this passage is ultimately about obedience to Christ. And that can be expressed in whatever station of life you find yourself in. In fact, these verses are really about the gospel because marriage is about the gospel. If you've been with us, as we've previously established, marriage is heaven's drama performed on earthly stage. That together, husbands and wives act out eternity's greatest romance. Both the husband and wife, they are handed scripts, but different ones. Last week, we peered at verses 25 to 33 in Ephesians 5 and how God ushers the husband into the role of Christ. In this cosmic play, the husband is called to lead in love by sacrificing and serving sanctifying his wife so she's holy and without blemish. All this grounded, tethered to the example of what Jesus Christ does for his bride, the church. And having established the role of the husband, tonight we will turn, we will pivot and examine then the role of the wife. That in God's sovereign and good design, she is cast as the church. And in this cosmic play, the wife participates in her joyful submission to her husband. All this grounded and tethered to the example of what the church does for her husband, Jesus Christ. 
Now, there are at least two pitfalls in a message like this, a sermon on submission in marriage. First, the real temptation is to write this off as chauvinistic, as antiquated, as ignorant. You might be thinking in your head, Pastor Allen, what can you possibly know about being a woman, let alone a wife? And to which I cannot offer a valid argument. Yes, being a man, I am speaking from a place of inexperience. I have no firsthand experience or insight into all the difficulties and intricacies of being a girl in a romantic relationship or being married to a man. And yet, can I humbly suggest that the starting line for men and women, married or single, is not our experiences, our credentials, our intellect, but it is the Scriptures. That if we are believers, if we are Christians, we all submit, we all submit to the Lordship of Christ. We take our thoughts captive and bring them under the authority of the Bible. And so what I hope to achieve tonight in our time isn't to dispense Alan's nuggets of wisdom or ideas that have worked out for other ladies. What I hope to do is to unfold God's Word, God's wisdom, his truth, so that we might know and therefore embrace marriage as God instituted and intended. And then let that understanding shape our pursuit of it, including how we date. The other difficulty in a sermon like this is how submission already carries so much baggage, right? You hear the word and immediately the thought in your mind is negative. You know, if I asked you, would you rather be my boss or my intern? I think you would all answer the same way. My intern, right? No, just kidding. Alessandra has no choice, but you are probably glad that you do. And yet, in all seriousness, submission, I think we all agree, gets a bad rap. It's the posture. It's the stuff of the weak, the defeated, those who are abused. And at face value, submission is a tough sell. And it only gets harder, more complicated, if we don't understand Paul's train of thought. So if this is your first week here, or your first message in this dating series, I highly encourage you to download and listen to the previous sermons. Otherwise, this kind of submission may not make sense. I'd also encourage you to study the entirety of Ephesians 5, and other sections of Scripture that redeem what submission is all about. How the Bible teaches that it can be good and godly if properly understood and exercised. Now, before we continue any further, a quick clarification on what submission is not. Submission, as we have previously stated, is not about inherent A wife doesn't submit to her husband because she's inferior in any way. Remember, in Genesis, God created both man and woman in his image. In regards to dignity, value, man and women are equal. However, in marriage, God specifies different roles, not because of worth, but because that's the best way marriages work. With that said, I do want to reiterate that submission is more than something we do. 
as we will soon discover, Paul doesn't delegate specific tasks to each gender. He doesn't say, husbands, you need to be in charge of the finances or wives take care of dinner. Most of these assumptions are socially constructed or derived from our culture. We need to be aware, careful of reading these assumptions back into our text. Another mistake is to assume submission says everything about the individual. I think our inclination to reject this teaching is owing to the fact that we wrongly conclude that this is all there is to being a woman, a wife. And if that's the case, of course ladies are prone to grumble, to grovel if they believe life and marriage is just about perpetual subservience. But realize submission is only one slice of the larger pie. While submission is, yes, a significant aspect of a wife's relationship to her husband, she is more than her marital role, right? She is a disciple of Christ, called to share the gospel and love her neighbors. She is part of the body of Christ, called to disciple younger ladies, be mentored by godlier women. And should God bless her with children, she is a mother, called to prioritize the home, raise her kids in the knowledge of the Lord. Yes, submission to her husband, it can't be ignored, but neither can the other responsibilities that God has assigned. So then what is submission? A simple definition at the beginning might help us as we navigate through our message. I would say submission is strength-controlled and skillfully deployed. Submission is strength-controlled to then be skillfully deployed. And in the context of marriage, submission is God's calling of a wife to honor and support her husband's loving leadership for a marriage that glorifies God. See, when we frame submission like that, it removes some of the bite. It's no longer as nasty as it may first sound because it's couched in Christ-like love, aimed for God's purposes. Now, what does submission look like? We're going to ground our time in Ephesians 5. We'll read our text and then pray as Paul unravels what this concept of submission should be. So if you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Tonight we'll be looking at verses 22 to 24. Follow along as I read our passage and then we'll pray for the Lord's help. Ephesians 5 beginning in verse 22. This is the word of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's pray. God, this passage may be hard for us to stomach to receive, but even prayer reminds us that we are not in the position of authority. Prayer teaches us that we submit because we need help, or we look to you. Oh, Lord, we are dependent upon you. Father, I pray for much humility, that you would erode away any resistance, that we would trust you, that we have seen your character so vividly 
demonstrated at the cross in the giving of your son in the gospel message, that our inclination would be to seal our lips and to listen, to know that you care for us, you love us, and you want what's good. And all that you have designed is for our spiritual advantage, that we might know you and reflect you in how we live, how we love one another, and in marriage, how husbands are charged to lovingly lead and wives to joyfully submit. Lord, help us to be thoughtful that as we wrestle with this, uh, Lord, that we be faithful with what has been entrusted to us, whether we're dating, whether we're single, whether we aspire to marriage or not, that we would rightly handle your word, knowing that it is for our, for our joy and for our growth. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to see three dimensions, three aspects to this submission. First, submission is to a wife's husband. Submission is to a wife's husband. Look again in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Um, I know Paul is directly speaking to the guys, but let me address the men first. I'm fully aware that Paul here is talking about the wives, but there is a charge to us as dudes that we need to set the tone. So let me ask, men, are you easy to submit to? Are you taking initiative now in how you lead and love that you're challenging, maybe even redefining the notion that submission is a bad thing? While it will be the woman's, the wife's responsibility to obey God in the future, do you invite it now? Notice this verse doesn't begin by saying, husbands, demand your wives to submit. No, God calls wives to submit. God has to be the one to command the wives because no sinful husband, by his own wisdom or power, deserves his wife's submission. You see, a husband's leadership isn't established by pressure, by entitlement. No, this leadership is so characterized by godliness, by grace, by love, that she feels safe to make herself vulnerable. She wants then to follow. And if you need an example of this, Jesus Christ is the epitome of such leadership. That the king of kings did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He denies himself, takes up the cross, and dies for sinners. You know why Jesus' followers have no problem submitting to him? Because no one has a problem submitting to a sacrificial servant. No one is reluctant to follow someone seeking their highest good, someone who's willing to lay down his life for them. Loving leadership inclines and invites joyful submission. Having prefaced the discussion, women we find out, are not off the hook. Wives are commanded to submit graciously and joyfully to their husbands. And the precision is super important. Submission is not to all men. Wives are to submit to their own husbands. So ladies, if a guy approaches you after practice and demands you to submit, you have every right to blow him off. He is a fool at best, an idiot at worst. The text makes it 
absolutely clear and explicit. It's that within the confines, within the framework of marriage, wives are to submit to their own husbands. Why? Because as we have studied, they are one flesh. That marriage redefines their identity. This unique identity that a husband and wife are to live out together. They're partners in fulfilling God's purposes as a single entity. If you've been following baseball, currently the Philadelphia Phillies are battling the wicked Houston Astros in the World Series. And each roster on both sides, they boast of star pitchers and catchers, infielders and outfielders. And for all intents and purposes, the players could go out onto the field and try to win the game on sheer talent alone. But as skilled as every individual is, they submit themselves to the leadership of their coach. Why? Why not take cues from the opposing manager or pick up batting tips from the other players? Well, it's very simple, right? It's a no-brainer. The Philly players submit to the Philly manager because they are on the same team. And every major league baseball team is packed with athletic people. That's why they can do it for a living. They're professionals. But the team that wins the World Series isn't always the most skilled. Some of these star-studded teams implode because there's too much ego, not enough humility. You see, the team most likely to achieve victory is the one where everyone buys in. Though they all play different positions, they strive for the same goal. The name on the front of the jersey is more important than the name on the back. And a wife submits to her husband because their prior, prior identities as individuals has been traded and trumped by a new one. That they are one flesh. They play for the same team. The question then is, will husband and wife buy in? In his wisdom, God has assigned the roles, the positions, if you will. God has given the responsibility of leading in love to the husband and the responsibility of submitting in joy to the wife. So what are the ramifications for our group, for single young adults, especially the ladies? How does this impact those of the women that are interested or currently dating? The applications are endless, but here's one possible takeaway. Evaluate the breadth of your submission. Evaluate the breadth of your submission. After all, if we're familiar with our Bibles, we'll know that submission is not reserved for marriage alone. Male or female, married or not, the Bible tells us to submit to the government, to our bosses, to our pastors. In this passage, Paul is just narrowing in on marriage relationship, which means how you do in other areas is probably indicative of how you'll do in this area. So ask yourself, ask your friends, what kind of reputation do you have? Are you stubborn, resistant, hypocritical? Are you the one quick to point the finger and push back? Or are you a leader in gentleness and grace. When you're selected to be on a project or team, do you think your manager is happy? Or are they preparing themselves for a headache, for unnecessary resistance? 
Or how about this one? It might hit too close to home. But how does your small group leader feel about you? You know, at the beginning of the season, did they see your name in their small group list and breathe a sigh of relief? You are a joy to minister to. Or did they see your name and breathe a different sigh of sorts? Now, don't be discouraged. We're all here to grow. But just consider the scope of your submission, the opportunities you have even to change the narrative. Imagine a gracious submission where your leaders are free to take initiative, to take risk even, because there's no fear of failure. You won't rub their mistakes in their face. You're patient. You're forgiving. Imagine parents, roommates, your boyfriend if you're dating. They're confident of your support, that they've grown to expect it, not be surprised by it. And so just as sternly as I asked the men, let me ask the women, are you easy to lead now? Are you inviting leadership from others? Yes, dating is not the same as marriage. But if it's a precursor for it, there probably should be echoes of this submission in a dating relationship. And it doesn't have to be wholesale, elaborate, or in an ostentatious manner. It could be simply in how you express your gratitude when your boyfriend leads you in a time of prayer or planning a date. Where the guy might be first to say, hey, let's review the sermon or study the word. Let's go to the church event or serve in the ministry. The girl might be fast to say in response, yes, yes. Sure, the submission Paul speaks of is primarily about marriage. But listen, you're unlikely to do well then unless you have some practice now. And this segues into our second point. Submission is not only to your own husband for a wife, but ultimately it's about the Lord. Submission is ultimately to the Lord. Paul continues in verse 22, anchoring us by saying, why submit to your own husband as, so here's the parallel, as to the Lord. Reason, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. You know, one of the things I'm looking forward to is the day when Barry, my wife, and I, we will recoup some of our freedom as parents. When our kids are older, Barry and I will have the luxury to leave our kids at home by themselves. And on that glorious day, I can announce to them, hey, mom and I, we're going to go out and we're coming back never. Kidding aside, but when we can actually do this, leave them on their own, we'll be smart about it, right? We won't throw caution into the wind. We will tell Maddie, our oldest, you know, while mom and dad are gone, you are in charge. And then we will turn to Everett, our Tasmanian devil, and we will tell him, while mom and dad are gone, Maddie is in charge. You listen to her. Now, what do we mean by this? It's not permission from Maddie just to boss her little brother around. It's not power delegated to her so she can force him into handing over his snacks or to do her her chores. No, when we put Maddie in charge, we are assigning her responsibility. She is the one who will be accountable. She will answer to us. Maddie is charged to watch over her brother, to make sure he finishes his dinner, 
gets to bed at a proper time and doesn't burn down our house. Maddie has authority, but it is a derived authority. Not for her own wishes, but for her parents' desires. And the same is true in the Christian marriage. That's why Paul constantly, throughout these three verses, ties our roles to Christ and the church. He is attaching, underpinning our relationship to the relationship so that the gospel determines how we act and relate. And we see this even in how we arrive to this section of Scripture on marriage. Our verse flows out of the previous section. You only need to glance back at verse 15. Paul is winding down his passage on being filled with the Holy Spirit, that those who are indwelt, influenced by the Holy Spirit are those who edify other Christians with spiritual songs, hymns, and psalms, praising God, giving thanks to him for everything. And the last characteristic Paul hones in on is submission. That the maturing Christian is one who grows in godly submission, internalizing the mind of Christ, applying Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. So let us be patently clear. All of us, male or female, as Christians, are called to submit. And from verses 22 into the next section, Paul filters this universal mandate of submission through various avenues, through different relationships. If you jump ahead to chapter 6, we see children submit to their parents, slaves to their master. But again, this doesn't allow for parents and masters to go on a power trip. They are excluded from submitting themselves. Now, do I have parental authority over my own children? You better believe it. But it's not absolute authority. It's a submissive, delegated authority where one day I will answer and give account to God for the leadership I've exercised over my children. Do I have pastoral authority in this church? Yes, I like to believe so. But it's, again, not an absolute authority. It is a submissive, delegated authority where I will answer and give an account to God for the leadership I exercise in the church. You see, to some degree, at some level, everyone submits. And what the Bible teaches us is that all submission in the Christian life is ultimately to the Lord. From citizens to the government, congregants to their pastors, children to their parents, workers to their bosses, wives to their husbands. You get that? A wife submitting to her husband is secondary because it is built, it is founded on her primary submission to Jesus Christ. Now, there are many implications we can draw from this, but let me tease out a couple. First, this means the wife doesn't submit to her husband's sin. Paul repeats over and over, as to the Lord, even as Christ is the head of the church. The husband has no authority to act in sin. He has no right to abuse his wife physically or verbally. The husband is not licensed to manipulate, mistreat his wife. 
And oftentimes, headship and submission, they carry a bad reputation because some have twisted these verses for evil and selfish purposes. And that is not only wrong, but that is downright wicked. The husband also has no authority to encourage his wife to sin. He's not to entice his wife to gossip or badger his wife into cutting corners at work. And if that happens, the wife is not to follow this lead because he is misusing, misappropriating his delegated authority. He is leading her away from Christ instead of towards. So don't be confused. Jesus, Jesus is Lord, and the husband is not head apart from Christ. Now, on the flip side, this point also teaches us the significance of submission. You see, if submission is ultimately to the Lord, then it doesn't just take place on the horizontal plane between a wife and a husband. But there is a vertical dimension. It is not merely about rote obedience or compliance to a spouse. It is about honoring God, rendering worship Submission is telling of your relationship to Christ. It's an opportunity to glorify Him. Look, it's no tall order for a wife to follow her husband's lead when they're on the same page, when she agrees with his decision. The rub comes when she doesn't see eye to eye, when she disagrees with his decision. That's the challenge, because that's when submission is cried. And here, this verse teaches us that you can be wrong even when you're right, and you can be right even when you're wrong. It's confusing stuff, right? I'm trying to be profound and deep. But let me explain. In circumstances, again, not pertaining to sin, if a wife refuses to submit to her husband because she believes in her heart, there's a better decision that will lead to a better outcome And let's say she's even right about that. Well, then in the end, she's wrong because she's not just resisting her husband, she's rejecting God, disregarding his instruction, dismissing his authority to do what she thinks is best. But the opposite can also be true. If a wife humbly submits to her husband, even if he ends up making a blunder or a wrong decision, it can still be right because she has trusted God. She has submitted herself to God, that God knows better, that God's ways are better, and she has done what he's called her to do. You see, the end do not justify the means. The means matter to God because he has told us how we're to handle them. It's always wrong to disobey God, and it's always right to obey him. And this is what wise are to portray and picture in their submission. That God's wiser, God's ways are better. Do you see how this redeems a wife's attitude and actions? That her submission is more than just nodding her head or taking care of some errands. Her submission is a window into how wonderful it is to submit to Christ. That wives have the opportunity to display how Jesus is worthy of their obedience by following someone who is unworthy of their submission. That people must exclaim and conclude her allegiance is ultimately not to some flawed man, 
but to our Savior and Lord. What's the takeaway then for this point? I would suggest evaluate the height of your submission. Evaluate the height of your submission. What do I mean by that? If Paul encourages a wife's submission by lifting her gaze to look above, to her submission ultimately to Christ, it probably serves us well to adopt the same gaze, to use the same motivation and metric even for dating. So ladies, how much do your values, your desires for a romantic relationship, how much of it stems from and matches what God values, what God desires in a marriage? Are you submitting your conception of what dating should be or look like to what Jesus says, what the Bible describes? Or does your dating share more similarities with our culture than submission to Christ? And I'm not just referring to whether we talk about God on occasion. I mean, that is important, but is he both the context for and central to your relationship? Paul makes great effort to connect the dots between the wife's disposition and attitude to gospel realities. And we should do the same in the interim. Here's some examples, some things to think through. Are you willing to break up with a guy if he is leading you away from Christ? There's no beating around the bush. If dating, as we have established, is a testing period for marriage, for Christian marriage, and marriage involves submitting to Jesus Christ, then who you're willing to date reveals who you really submit to. Your own desires. Your fear of wasted time and investment the anger perhaps of your boyfriend, or will it be Christ as king? I'm not saying end the relationship at the first instance of sin, but if the trajectory isn't towards Jesus, then how will you ever submit to Jesus in your relationship? Another consideration, are you attracted to the right traits, to the right qualities? Look, attraction can change. You know, I hope you realize this. When you were a kid, maybe you were attracted to the classic clown, that little boy who was obnoxious and loud and made farting sounds with his armpit. But hopefully, hopefully you don't find these traits still appealing. What has happened? Your priorities have changed. You have matured, and so has your attraction, what you find attraction, attractive. Over the years, as you mature in Christ, you will gravitate towards people who do the same. And listen, if you don't, maybe that is a wake-up call to investigate why. Because those who grow in godliness will find godliness attractive. Ladies, find someone you're willing to submit to because it feels like submitting to Christ. And we've got to move on. Finally, submission is in everything. Submission is in everything. We find this in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In his book, Outliers, 
Malcolm Gladwell tells of a fascinating phenomenon. In the late 90s, there was a higher rate of planes crashing Asian airlines like Korea Air than any other airlines. And upon closer inspection, Gladwell surmised why. It had to do with the rules of conduct in a culture that greatly valued honor. And many of you know this. In the Asian culture where hierarchy was huge, these co-pilots and flight engineers, they had trouble figuring out how they were supposed to relate and work with their captains. On one hand, they wanted to respect the captain, treat their boss with honor. On the other hand, they knew they had the obligation to do their jobs effectively to ensure safe air travel. The problem came to a head when these two operating principles conflicted, when they collided. For example, there were situations where the plane was in danger of going down, and the captain, for whatever reason, was oblivious to it. He thought everything was fine, but his crew knew better. They knew things were bad, that they were going to crash if things didn't change. You know, maybe the co-pilot spotted turbulent weather or the engineer noticed technical malfunction, but no one really spoke up. They were too embarrassed to disagree, as if they would be guilty of insubordination for contradicting their captain. And you read the flight transcripts, and the dialogue is tragic. These co-pilots and Flight engineers are suggestive. They're reserved, asking rhetorical questions like, Captain, do you think we should lift the nose of the plane? When survival necessitated them to be more assertive and explicit, Captain, we're going to smash into that mountain if we don't pull up. When Korea Air discovered this reoccurring issue, they had to bring in people outside of their country to retrain their crew. These co-pilots and engineers had to be taught that submitting to their captain didn't mean that they were resigned to silence or being yes-men. Submitting meant, under the direction and leadership of their captain, they were to use their specialties, their smarts, for the greater good of the plane and, and its passengers. I think many of us, we can have a similar misconception when it comes to the wife's responsibility to submit in everything. I'm willing to wager that is what pops out to us in this verse, those three words, in all things. Whether we're male or female, our eyes get big. The wife is to submit in everything? Is this a blank check? And our minds drift towards the minutia. Does this mean the wife has to run everything by her husband? Does this mean the wife has to ask her husband for permission when she wants to leave the house, purchase something at the store on what to eat for lunch? We get lost in how vast and exhaustive this feels that we miss how pointed it really is. The range of in all things It's not an issue of gaining clearance for every little detail and decision. The range of all things is meant to impress upon us the solidarity of the wife's relationship to her husband. That in everything, she's to live out her one flesh union, her role to support and help her husband. That it is a team endeavor. And I think that's why Paul is purposely vague. 
He refrains from lists and enumerating all the deeds. He's equipping us instead with a perspective. The purpose of in all things is to show us there is no escaping this reality. This new identity of one flesh union really envelops everything. So that in budgeting, planning a vacation, or thinking through a living situation, it is all filtered through the relationship of leadership and support for the greater good of the marriage. And listen, more than being restrictive, this outlook is actually refreshing. It's empowering. The wife then is not relegated to being aloof, but to enlisted to use her skills and abilities. Wives aren't to leave their brains at the altar and never think for themselves. They aren't to refrain from vocalizing their opinions, expressing their concerns, or disagreeing with their husband. This submission that the Bible speaks of isn't a blind one. The wife's very responsibility to help support her husband requires engagement, thought, and a utilization of God-given gifts for God-given purpose. Now, the first person I think of is obviously Barry, my wife. And if you know her, if you've talked to her, you know she is by no means a doormat or inept. You know, she's smart, kind, very ambitious, and she would definitely want me to tell you she is funny, uh, almost as funny as me, but just slightly underneath. But uh, actually, today is even her birthday, right? And so she is at home. She, she spent the day homeschooling our kids, and then she's taking care of them, watching them, so that I can be here, so that we can serve together. You know, I may be present here tonight preaching to you, but it's only because Barry's got my back. You see, husbands need submission in all things, not for the sake of abusing power or serving their own vices, but so that they can lean upon their wife's strength. Otherwise, guess what? The plane will crash. Husbands are flawed. In case you didn't know, men don't know everything. We are dumb and insensitive. We need someone to gently point out our flaws, to encourage us when we're down. We need help being hospitable, being mindful of our neighbors. And marriage Marriage shores up some of our weaknesses and blind spots by bringing along another person with another set of eyes, another set of skills to help. And if one flesh union is now the new identity for all arenas of life, husbands and wives can't possibly accomplish all God has planned for their marriage on their own. Husbands can't possibly lead in love without the wife's willing and joyful submission in everything. Wives can't possibly submit joyfully without the husband's sacrificial servant-like leadership. Both. And both are necessary for marriage to thrive and fulfill God's design. So one final and quick takeaway. Evaluate then the depth of your submission. Evaluate the depth of your submission. So whereas the previous application on the breadth of submission has us examine submission across the board, what I want to do now is press us on how full and deep our submission goes in these various areas. How completely are you willing 
to submit to Jesus? Is it in everything or are there ceilings? Is there limitations? Is it only when it accords with what you already want? Or is there a dying to self? Have you lost the art of self-denial? What I find interesting is that there are certain areas of our lives we fence off from the lordship of Christ or we offer a superficial nod to his rule and reign. And we might be okay giving up our Sundays, perhaps some of our language and thought life, maybe a sliver of our entertainment, finances, or career ambitions. But more common than not, it is very difficult for us to relinquish our grasp on romance, on marriage, on dating. And this is where we're placed at the crossroads. Will the death of this, our submission that is required in marriage be expressed in your current season of life, whether single or dating? Will you be content to trust that God is sovereign and in control when you are itching to move things forward according to your pace, according to your wisdom? Will you be pure and loving in how you interact with the opposite gender, not toying with emotions but clear in intentions? Will you be serving while single? You see, if submission is strength controlled and skillfully to, to then be skillfully deployed, how are you faring in utilizing your strengths and skills in the service of others? What's incredibly encouraging is, for the most part, I know I am preaching to the choir. I see how many of you use your knack for organization to host an event, to gather people for lunch. I see how you leverage your flexible schedule to meet with others or facilitate small groups here at Praxis. You are putting everything you have, everything you are at the disposal of Christ because your submission goes that deep. And should, and when you have a husband, ladies, you will be ahead of the curve in submitting to him in everything because you are already all about submitting to Christ in everything. Now, if this is all still murky, you know, if you're still unsure of what this dynamic of leadership and submitting looks like in dating, well, it's because it's a tricky thing to figure out. We aren't given all the details, just principles to consider, to apply, to follow. And as I have been hammering in our series, it may look very different from one relationship to another. We need to exercise patience, grace, wisdom, we need to use the church as a resource gleaned from those who have gone before us. But I would say a general guideline is the more you've, you've discerned your relationship is heading towards marriage, the more developed these types of interactions should be. Obviously, not exactly the same because you're not married, but it should be moving in that trajectory. You know, on your first date, it's not going to be in full effect where the girl says to the guy, I'm willing to relocate jobs at your whim, at your discretion, uh, even though I don't know your name or uh, your, your testimony. No, it's not going to be like that. But as things get more and more serious, there should be at least some semblance of loving leadership and joyful submission. That's why dating is a process, but it must be a process towards a particular end. Hopefully, at the Q&A panel next week, we'll have time to address any uh, questions that we might have. 
uh, pertaining to specific situations. But let me wrap up by saying submission, hopefully as we've seen from the text, is not demeaning or negative. In fact, quite the opposite. The Bible reveals how it is good, helpful, life-giving. And if there's anyone who models this the best, is not Jesus Christ himself. Sure, the wife is cast as the church, but the church, the church learns about submission from her Lord. Think of the Trinity, Father and Son, both glories, both equally God, and yet in the plan of redemption, Jesus plays a different role. Time and time again, we marvel as the Son of God submits to his Father's will. And it is no affront to his worth. It is no threat to his dignity. In fact, it is through joyful submission, Jesus paves the way for salvation. It is through godly humility, Christ secures honor and is crowned with the name above all names. In marriage, husband and wife mirror the full gospel. In marriage, husband and wife marry two portraits of Christ the husband painting the loving leadership of sacrifice and service of our Savior, the wife painting the joyful submission of the church to her Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we ask for grace. Lord, it is hard to receive things that confront our pride or go against what we think is best. But Lord, we pray that you would do a divine work, and make us soft to your instruction, trusting the one through whom it comes from. We ask that you teach us all how to submit, uh, to, to see this not as uh, something that is passive or dismissive or weak, but strength-controlled as a way in which we can honor you, as a way in which we can all submit to you and esteem Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that you would help us to wrestle with these things, to allow your truth to weigh upon our minds and hearts as we think through how you're calling us to apply your word. Whether we're in a dating relationship or we're single, may we steward this season well, that should we be called into marriage one day, uh, we will be prepared to be obedient to you uh, to rejoice in your commands and to love you and one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.